Lord, we thank you for these people, and we ask, God, that you would equip us as a ministry staff, as elders, as ministry leaders, to love them, and that you would help us to love one another and this community. I pray, Lord, that uh, as you give us a vision for the community as well as abroad, as, as you've obviously done in us sending out Tim and Liz Forney to Romania, that those works would be blessed and of you, and whatever is not, that you would um, change our mind about it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're wrapping up the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And it's a timely message. Actually, this book has been pretty timely uh, with the things that we've been going through internally as a church, as well as what I've heard in terms of feedback from folks out here in the congregation. In uh, May, May 1st of 1685, there was a man named John Brown of Priest Hill. That's in Scotland. And he, he just didn't go along with the religion that, that was imposed on him. And on that morning, there was a raid by Graham of Claverhouse, where they found John Brown working outside of his home. And so they grabbed John Brown and they brought him to his home. And in front of his wife and his children, he was told to go into prayer before they w- would put him to death. So he prayed aloud, and after his prayers, Claverhouse ordered the six men that were with him to shoot John Brown in front of his wife and his children. Uh, but the men, they were, they were so greatly affected and moved by John Brown's prayers that they refused. They refused to follow the orders. And so Claverhouse shot John Brown himself, and then he turned to the new widow, and in this fierce and in this fiendish way, he asked, What thinkest thou of thy husband now, woman? And Isabel Brown replied in her weeping and her sobbing, I ever thought much good of him, and now more than ever. That was a true story used in 1927 by a preacher named Arthur John Gossip. And um, it's just such an awesome name for a preacher, Gossip. Oh, you have some difficulties? Um, you should see, uh, you need counseling. So you, you, need, you need to go see Dr. Gossip. Well, Pastor Gossip preached one of the most famous sermons ever preached. And it's entitled, When Life Tumbles In, What Then? And he preached that sermon the very next day after his wife suddenly died. And he used the true story of John Brown recounting when Claverhouse in cold blood shot John Brown of Priestill in front of his wife and his children. And then he turned to the new widow and asked her, What thinkest thou of thy husband now, woman? And she was by her deceased husband's side and and weeping and sobbing and and holding him and, and gathering the parts that were shot off. And she said, I ever thought much good of him, and now... More than ever. And Gossip said in his sermon that he always thought good of the Christian faith. But after the sudden death of his wife, he thought good of the Christian faith now more than ever. Far more. And what was Dr. Gossip doing? What was Isabel Brown doing? See, they were living out in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But the righteous shall live by faith. They were going to continuing, continue on living by faith. And he said in this infamous sermon of his, and it's a quote, 
you people in the sunshine may believe the faith, but we in the shadow must believe it. We have nothing else. And Dr. Gossip took the faith that he professed, and he walked in that faith in the midst of the circumstances, and that's what we find Habakkuk doing in our text this morning. See, the prophet received a vision, a really disturbing vision from God, but God gave him a secret. Live by faith. Living by faith. In order to get through these upcoming hard times, live by faith. And for Habakkuk, it was coming this coming Babylonian invasion. It was the destruction of Judah. And we see how Habakkuk was applying Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But the righteous shall live by faith. It doesn't matter your circumstances. We live by faith. See, he was afraid. And when we go into these next verses, we'll see that he trembled. You know, but as he trembled. He simultaneously, he trusted. He trembled, but he trusted. And may Habakkuk's example and the example of Isabel Brown and Dr. Gossip encourage us to keep living by faith in the face of our circumstances, even though they may be troubling, even though they may be full of turmoil. So let's start in our text, starting in verse 16. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So here we see the problems our faith can experience. We see that Habakkuk's emotional response was was one of inward trembling, of, of inward dread. And he knew that this invasion was coming, that these troubles, that these turmoils, that these problems were coming, and that it was going to be a catastrophic trouble, a catastrophic invasion. And we see that serious problems were coming Habakkuk's way, but we see that faith, faith is resolute. Faith does not move. And perhaps the very problems we face are the very evidences of our faith. What was it that he heard that was causing his body to tremble, causing his lips to quiver? And it's referring back to chapter 3, verse 2, where he saw God's work of judgment and was in fear of it. It's referring back to chapter 1, verse 5, where God was going to raise the Chaldeans to bring judgment to Judah. This was making Habakkuk horrified. It got him emotionally distraught. Verse 16, My body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. But even with all this turmoil, with all this trouble, what does the prophet do? Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. What? Quietly wait? Shouldn't you be like, Leaving town or getting ready to fight or something? Quietly wait. See, oftentimes there isn't much we can do. But wait. We wait for the impending trouble to come. And sometimes there isn't much we can do except hold on to the promises God has given us for after the trouble has passed. And in Habakkuk's case, there was this promise that the Babylonians will receive their judgment. He held on to that. 
And for us, we have many promises in the Bible to carry us through our our present and our upcoming troubles. To go through trouble is not a denial of faith. Rather, it's an evidence of faith. Habakkuk has was trembling and afraid precisely because he believed in God's word. Right? The prophet had faith in God's word and it and it made him tremble over the truth. The truth is what troubled Habakkuk. If you really don't believe the Bible, it wouldn't bother you. If he really didn't believe in God, it wouldn't bother him. It was, ah, good joke, whatever. But he was troubled because he knew God was God, that his faith was true, was resolute. Because we tremble and we are troubled, it doesn't mean that we lack faith. Jesus himself said in John chapter 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. Now do we think that Jesus lacked faith? He lacked faith? No. Right? Habakkuk was troubled precisely because he had so much faith in the Word of God and who God is. And what God said. Because his very faith in God was certain. The only appropriate reaction was to be distressed. When you hear that stuff, right? Because you know God's word is true. The only appropriate response is distress. And in Habakkuk's very signs of distress are the evidences of faith because he saw God's words as true. We see how Habakkuk was was falling apart and and what the vision of God would mean for him and his people and how he, he really believed God's word to be true and the very trouble he experienced was a sign of his faith. And sometimes we think that faith will relieve our distress. It will solve our troubles that are are within us. And it doesn't all the time. Sometimes it increases it. Like, oh, such an encouraging message. (laughs) But you look at what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 17, verse 22. And and, and this is in the context of of suffering that is going to be coming to them. It wasn't yet. It, It was going to come to them. And Jesus says this, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Isn't that a bummer? There are going to be times of suffering where... You have nothing else and you want to see the Son of Man and you want to see the kingdom of God, but you're not going to see it. Now, isn't that aggravating? Isn't that more aggravating than it is relieving? Doesn't that make you uncomfortable? Doesn't that make you upset? Doesn't it make you afraid? It does me. Can you imagine all the people that were held at gunpoint or, or for, for their faith and, and for died as martyrs and stuff? They were hoping for God, but it didn't come. But Jesus told us that ahead of time. And because we have such emotion, it proves that we believe God's word to be true. What Jesus said is true. If it weren't true, we wouldn't be so bothered. Now, faith doesn't always lead to a peaceful state of mind. And I'm sorry to burst some of your bubbles here, but it's true. It doesn't. And faith doesn't always lead to this this, peace. Relief or release of turmoil, of troubles. Rather, it can bring about the trouble. It can bring about the distress precisely because your faith is true. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the yields and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Now in verse 17, we see the, the misery 
that our faith may encounter. See, faith doesn't guarantee us peace, and it doesn't guarantee us comfort. Faith may have to exist in miserable circumstances for you to exercise your faith. And I don't think any of us like this news, but that's what it seems that Habakkuk is sharing with us this morning. Verse 17 shows us how deep Habakkuk's faith was. What is being spoken about in verse 17. This is talking about an economic collapse. This was talking about financial ruin. This is talking about a worst case scenario. It meant starvation. It meant famine. It meant a devastated land. In in our terms, it meant an economic collapse. The stock markets crash. The inflation of money is sky high. Food is harder to come by. Real estate markets take a dive. Pension plans are going to kaputs. This was part of the judgment within the context of covenant curses like in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And in the first part of Deuteronomy chapter 28, we find blessings if Israel remained faithful and obedient to God. But on the flip side, which is a lot longer list, there are consequences for being disobedient. There are consequences for being unfaithful to God. Things that will be taken away. And just because countries and people experience famine or or economic distress and things, it doesn't mean that they're being judged by God. Okay, let's get that clear too. I'm not saying like, oh, right now we are being judged by God. I'm not saying that. But we have these covenant curses that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 28. So looking in Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting in verse 17, we see this type of covenant curse. And you notice that in the curse, that it's for everyone. Everyone, including the faithful. There are no exemptions from this. That even if there are some who are obedient and faithful to God, they still will experience turmoil. Just like in Habakkuk's time. We have Habakkuk who was faithful. He was an obedient prophet. But he was going to face the same turmoil from the Babylonians as all the other Judeans. He was not exempt. No one was exempt. It's the same for us. In the midst of economic collapse where banks are closing, stock markets are falling, debt is increasing, the value of the dollar is less, none of us are exempt. We're all affected. But sometimes God calls our faith to suffer. And it might be corporately, it might be individually, but our faith may be called on to suffer. What did Paul write in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8? But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. See, we're stripped. If if we're stripped of all of our human resources... It doesn't mean that God is not working in us or that we lack faith. This is an important point because there's confusion about faith and prosperity and growth and how things should look. This is an important point because there's confusion about this stuff. That the signs of a healthy Christian, that the signs of a healthy church means that we have more. Whether that's more resources or or more people or more whatever. That's bad theology. Really bad. I think that the prophet Habakkuk as well as the Apostle Paul, they would have serious issues about this. They would have serious issues about this type of thinking. 
And a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege to be part of one of our members' son's homegoing celebration. And you see, she had lost her son suddenly. And I, I, I got the chance to meet him here before our church, and he was a pleasant young man. He was, he was a fine young man. And I could tell how close his bond with his mother was, but in a moment, she lost her baby boy. And a couple of weeks ago was centuries from Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. But it was a mother's own form of destitution that her faith faced in that moment. And I find that God has perfect timing in regards to the text and what we go through as a church and what we go through individually. Times for a believer's faith can be destitute. And it's not a sign of weakness in our faith. It's not an indication that we lack faith. We can be destitute precisely because we have God. If you don't, you can't. But you can because you have God. And faith sometimes has to exist in these utterly destitute conditions. And it's not to be negatively looked upon regarding our faith. It's unfortunate that we even have to talk about things like this. But I think some of us have this inaccurate view of faith. We have this inaccurate view of what it means to be a Christian. What we have and and, and what, what growth means and all this other stuff. Jesus understood this. You look at chapter 4 of Luke, verses 2 through 4. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. What's going on here? Satan is essentially saying, Jesus, you have nothing. You are destitute. Your father has left you destitute. But you have this power. You have this power to act independently to make that rock into bread. And you see those stones over there? You can command them to become bread. And you don't have to submit to your circumstances. You can do something about it. You have the power to act on your own. Bail yourself out of this stuff. What kind of father do you have? would leave you like that in such a destitute circumstance. You don't have nothing to eat. You're all by yourself. You know, he, he was delighted at your baptism, but where is he now? Where's your dad now? You're going through all this mess. And in such a time of turmoil, do you think Jesus was lacking faith? Was the father not pleased with him anymore? No, he says, man shall not live by bread alone. It doesn't mean we have no faith or that our faith is weak. Although oftentimes it is. It is, isn't it? Our faith is sometimes weak. And what does all this mean? It means that sometimes we'll share in the position of our own Lord and Savior Jesus. He went through that stuff Himself. Why wouldn't we? We can identify with that. And some of us need to hear this because we're not going to hear it anywhere else. Because we hear other things, other places. That if you believe in God, you're going to get stuff. That He's going to answer everything and and you're going to live well and have peace and all this other stuff? Not necessarily. Maybe sometimes. For Habakkuk, the circumstances and perceptions that could have dominated him were the anticipated famine, this economic collapse, all this stuff. So we see that faith doesn't guarantee our level of comfort. It doesn't. 
Faith may have to exist in miserable, destitute circumstances, but we see the joy that faith can confess in verses 18 and 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Despite the coming economic ruin, despite the difficult circumstances of life, Habakkuk will rejoice in the Lord. He chooses to rejoice in the Lord. Faith isn't only able to persist and endure during difficult times, but it can also rejoice. And I'm not saying this because I'm good at it or that I'm a pro at it. I'm saying it because it's in the Bible. In the middle of our difficult circumstances, not only can faith persist and endure, it can rejoice. You look at verse 18 again. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You notice that? There's a boldness there. That It's not a passive thing. Uh, maybe I'll rejoice. Hmm. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. All the stuff before me, yet I will rejoice. Something where he'll just have to wait for it to come by, but he's going to rejoice. It's not a passive thing that the prophet hopes will just happen. This is a declaration of victory. I will rejoice in the Lord. And notice that the boldness and the claims aren't in himself. In the Lord. Not in himself. He will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What does that mean? It means that he rejoices in the one that the Babylonians can't take away. Even They might take away everything else Habakkuk has, but they can't take away God. He might lose everything. But we won't be deprived of the God of our salvation. Everything might be taken away from us. Everything. Can't take away God. You take everything else, can't take away God. How can this be? Some of us might find this to be strange, but the prophet does have reasons for his rejoicing. The reason is God is his strength. The joy and confidence we have in God is not from ourselves, but it comes from God. God enables us. Verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. The joy and confidence we have as Christians is made possible to us because God, as our strength, enables us to have strength. And the same thing is happening in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes to the Philippians, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You hear Paul's secret there? God is his strength. God makes it so that he can survive another day. He's writing this from prison. He doesn't even know if he's going to live or not. God is the one who makes things steady in life. Chapter 3, verse 19. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. God gives us a steadfast, steadfastness, an ability to be steady when, when times can actually make us fall when we're imbalanced. 
And God makes Habakkuk walk in, in these scary heights in safety, in steadiness. And in the midst of disaster, this upcoming disaster, the Lord will be with him. And it's in this place that the prophet rejoices. In the places of danger. It's not that the prophet isn't concerned with the circumstances. He was. He was concerned. He, he trembled. He dreaded the coming disaster. You remember verse 16? But he wasn't ruled by them. He wasn't overcome by those things. And we know of many people who can testify about the joy they have in God even in the midst of their difficulties. There are many testimonies here about the strength God gave them in the midst of their troubles. Now the joy that Habakkuk experienced in verses 18 and 19 can only be experienced in the context of verse 17. And it's a type of joy that that defies all circumstances. It's a joy that that can't be taken away. And and this isn't something that only prophets can experience because we can all choose and we can all confess this type of joy in our faith in God. Now let's talk about the last part of verse 19. Because I think this part is pretty awesome. Because after all that thing, he makes this declaration to the choir master with stringed instruments. It's like, fire it up, band! Right? Now, now there's some tradition here that, that our faith is to receive. That, that our faith is, is to be ready to receive and use these written and prepared prayers like this. And some of you are thinking, like, are we becoming high church? Maybe. No. Verse 19, to the choir master with stringed instruments. What's going on here? Well, you have, to, you have to look at this chapter as a whole and in its proper context, right? So how did the chapter start out? It started out as a prayer. As a prayer for the prophet Habakkuk. And remember we mentioned Shigionoth in the beginning of chapter 3 a, a few weeks ago because of my sickness. And, and I mentioned we, we really don't know what that's all about. But a possibility is that it, it was a tune for the, for the prayer, for the psalm. It's kind of like uh, saying, like, oh, play that thing. And everyone kind of knew it and, and they would play it. And so, there are these Selah notations in verses 3, 19, and 13, which can be possibly like musical notations. We're not sure. But we have verse 19. To the choir master with stringed instruments, what's going on? This is telling us that this psalm, this prayer, was to be used in public worship. To be sung in public worship by God's people. And this assumes a couple things. One thing it assumes is that this prayer in chapter 3 was to be used in worship. And the second thing that it assumes is that there was a need for this to be used in worship. It's as if Habakkuk, by doing this, he, he's, he's relating to us um, and understanding that, that, that the tough, distressing times of turmoil that, 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 that we face... It wasn't going to stop with him. That they were going to move on. And he wanted to encourage people, like right now, with the times that we face. The turmoils that we face. That he was leaving something behind to to minister to the followers of God that would come after him because we too will face difficult times ahead, if not right now, in the future. And he was leaving something behind for us. That when we face turmoil, that when we face troubles, that here's a prayer for you. Here's, here's a prayer for you to pray. 
Here's a prayer to teach you how to pray. Let's break it down. So verses 1 and 2, we're, we are to make no secrets about what we're afraid of. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, when we pray to God, when we worship God. Make no secrets about what you're afraid of. And then you look at chapters, uh, verses 3 through 15. What does that say? We are to fill our minds with the God that, that comes to save us, who, that comes to deliver us. And then verses 16 through 19, what we're covering this morning, we are to look at our circumstances and and delight in the joy that no one can take away from us, to delight in God whom no one can take away from us. Nothing can take God away from you. And it's it's as if Habakkuk wrote this down for us so, so we could use it ourselves when we're going through tough times. Habakkuk's cool peeps, man. He knew that future generations would be living in the midst of the years wondering what and how to pray in difficult times. Here you go. This is what, this is what happened to me. This is the, the vision that God gave me. I was trembling. I, I didn't feel good. And, this is it. and, and here's, here's a song I wrote for you. Here's a prayer I wrote for you. So he gives us a clue by by giving us a prayer of his own from from someone who has gone down a similar path. And this helped him through it. Now, don't we already do this in many of our worship songs that we've received from the Psalms or other parts of the Bible? We do this ourselves, don't we? And Habakkuk's prayer was actually written in in a worship song. Actually, a few worship songs, but one in particular I want to point out was written by William Cooper. Now, Cooper, um, he suffered from severe manic depression. And even though he found this refuge in Jesus, he was a believer, a strong believer. He often experienced doubt. He often experienced fear. And he was never completely healed of his depression. And he had several serious depressive breakdowns, and he tried to take his life numerous times. Someone who experienced this great mental anguish and pain. And he he was this great poet. He was this great hymn composer. And this guy is so smart. He translated Homer's Iliad and Odyssey from the Greek. And, And he wrote this hymn. He wrote this hymn called Sometimes a Light Surprises. Let me share it with you. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healings in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of clear shining to cheer it after rain. In holy contemplation, we sweetly then pursue the theme of God's salvation and find it ever new. Set free from present sorrow, we cheerfully can say, and let the unknown morrow bring with it what it may. It can bring with it nothing, but He will bear us through. Who gives the lilies clothing will clothe His people too. Beneath the spreading heavens, no creature but is fed. And he who feeds the ravings, ravens will give his children bread. And then we come to the fourth stanza, which is Habakkuk's prayer. Though vine nor fig tree, neither their wanted fruit should bear. Though all the fields should wither, nor flock nor herds be there. Yet God the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice. For while in him confiding, I cannot but rejoice. Rejoice. 
He was never delivered. He lived in those circumstances, but he rejoiced. And you see how Cooper took Habakkuk's prayer and he prayed it again. He's doing with it what Habakkuk wanted him to do. And that's a prayer for us as well. You know, when you're going through tough times, you can go back to this and look at it. So when we're in distress and trouble and we're not sure what to pray, we don't even know what to think. When we find ourselves like Paul uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. You can turn back to Habakkuk's prayer. So we see that Habakkuk was concerned by, but not overcome by, his circumstances. Because he believed in joy, he believed in confidence, he believed in, in faith. And Habakkuk viewed the vision of God that he received as this powerful uh, and full of judgment, but he also saw God as this caring and approachable God. Our God who is able to be our strength in times of weakness and our safety in times of danger. And Habakkuk chose to have faith. He chose to be righteous. Verses 18 and 19 are showing us Habakkuk's way of acting out. Chapter 2, verse 4. But the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your promises, even though oftentimes they begin with distress. But they always, always end in hope. Thank you that even in our distress, we can still experience joy. And Lord, I pray for those that are in trouble, that are in a turmoil, that are in a distressing time, that you would would set their feet on the high places and you would hold them steady and that they would be able to rejoice and, and know that if everything else be taken away, you can't. And I pray that we wouldn't seek to be religious people or people looking to be part of outstanding churches, but that we would simply seek to live by faith just like Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 says, The righteous shall live by his faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now during this uh, time of worship, uh, that we've kind of left a longer time for worship as a response to the Lord's word, as well as whatever the Lord's ministering to your heart. But we also have communion available on the two aisles here, as well as up front. And so we talk about the promises of God and what has He promised you? Here's a, a, a sign of the things that He's promised. His broken body and His blood, what these elements symbolize. But He promised that He's going to come back again. And we can have hope in that. Whatever you're going through, Jesus will come back for you and He will give you joy and ability to rejoice even in your times of trouble. So you're welcome to take communion with us to to remember that.